if you see someone who's been thinking about the idea for two months and the deck's very raw and very new versus someone who's battle tested it even four months later has been thinking about the idea for six months, has gotten tons, maybe 30, 40 people even in feedback and, and battle testing it a little bit where it can become like much, much stronger. That's obviously a great sign. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Andrew Gluck, GP at Irreverent VC, which you can find at IRRVRNT.com. In this episode, we talk through a few of his investments, how they came about, why he invested in those companies, what you could learn from him around what he looks for in those founders. We talk about how he works with the founders he invests in. Andrew has a lot of experience in digital marketing, which he brings to the table for founders. We talk through why he decided to go from angel investing to raising a rolling fund, some of the logistics behind that, and much more. Find the show notes for this episode at thevitalizepodcast.com. Leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash vitalize. Let's dive in. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. And a lot to talk about with your investing. I know some of the returns you had posted like on Twitter about your investing, you've done really well so far. I think it's always helpful though for people like, how did you get into investing in the first place? Like your first investment, Andrew? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I take a little, I got to give you a little backstory. So <laughs> I, I, um, my background is really digital marketing. So I spent about a decade in the digital marketing world. I studied economics. I studied some psychology, human behavior, all that stuff was really interesting to me. So that led to marketing and really digital marketing, which had a nice confluence of, of those kinds of different things. Had some pretty good success there, including uh, founding and exiting an agency called Agency Within, which was one of, if not the largest independent digital marketing agency in the US. Um, and then after that, you know, where I realized um, a few things. One, like I loved startups, like as a, as a startup, we were a bootstrap startup. So you know, basically profitable from day one. So it wasn't venture backed or anything like that. But we've worked with a lot of venture venture backed companies. I got a lot of passion, enthusiasm, excitement out of working with those companies. It's just, I don't want to say more fun, but more fun, more challenging. <laughs> um, there's like a, you know, a real mission around a lot of these companies, not not so that enterprise companies can have those missions um, and, and, and fun too. But um, so started to spend a lot of time in that space, uh, met with a lot of founders, met with other investors, um, just trying to get to know people, know, know the ecosystem. That was the tail end of 2018, beginning of 2019, and then started to make investments at the beginning of 2019. I, I'll, I'll walk you through like the first three investments that I made, because those are the ones that I kind of spent time over the first, you know, few months of 2019 getting to really know. So one was uh, a company called Caraway. Caraway is a direct consumer kitchenware company. They make um, amazing pots and pans. I own three sets. Don't ask me why. Um, I bought a few sets as gifts. Everyone loves them. They also have uh, amazing bakeware that they launch, which I'm still, I think, waiting on. I have to check with my wife what color we, she wants. And so got connected to him, uh, to the founder, Jordan, from a uh, an invest a, a founder that I'd worked with at the agency. Um, one of the founders, Mary Biggins of MealPal, had gone to the same college as Jordan, didn't know him personally, but Jordan reached out to her. She reached out to her network. I was talking to companies, started talking to him, realized if someone was going to win this market, it was going to be him. Um, and so I ended up investing in them and pre-product, pre-revenue, pre-launch. They're now just over two years old and absolutely crushing it. Um, another early stage company that I invested in was a company called Branch Furniture. Um, they're also doing really well. Also just about two years old. 
Um, I also invested, they had some revenue and some product, uh, but they're a direct consumer and B2B furniture company. Um, so they sell really great, I don't want to say affordable, but affordable furniture in that it's accessible price point versus like a Herman Miller, but Herman Miller quality in terms of build and make the ergonomics of the chair and everything else. Um, and that's one where I actually saw, um, I, I don't remember exactly where, but I saw something about the company somewhere was posted about it. And I reached out to the founder on LinkedIn and I was like, Hey, I really love what you're doing. Have you thought about X, Y, Z? led to conversation, led to meeting the uh, Greg, the, the, the founder, Greg Hayes, and, and Sid, the other founder, met them in their showroom um, in, uh, in in New York um, and ended up investing in them. They're, they're doing you know really well now. Third one, Lunchbox, it's like a Shopify for restaurants. That's one where I knew about the industry um, because ironically, as I was starting the agency with my co-founder, we also were starting a company in the space around technology um, for, for restaurants where we put tablets on tables and bars, restaurants and nightclubs to view menu, order or check out on demand. I still remember the script you know, perfectly. Ended up talking to a company, actually the founder of Paddle, who's announcing around now too. Ended up passing on that company, just wasn't in, in my scope, but he introduced me to the founder of Lunchbox, to Nabil, ended up investing early, also ended up advising, and they've had you know tremendous success and, and uh, they're raising a series B right now. But, uh, which will probably be closed by the time this. <laughs> I hope. I've, <laughs> I've heard a lot of, about. In, I've heard in a lot terms about them. Of, uh, confidentiality. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, yeah, I, I've heard a lot about them in terms of Lunchbox and Nabil and the, what they've done. I've kind of followed along the last couple of years. I don't know. I don't remember where I kind of first saw them, but. I remember seeing him like I've been seeing the progression of him over time, and I want to go back to the first investment you you mentioned. So with that company, you just you said you just knew the founder was going to crush it. <laughs> Tell me, t- take me through more of that, more aspects of that, because you know we're all kind of looking for those founders, right? It's like what are some aspects of him? Before before I do that, I also just wanted to mention like I specifically talk about those three, not just because they were my first, but like especially as getting into investing, like great founders you can meet from anywhere and like you want to spread your surface area, right? One was cold outreach. I read about it. And I think probably like an industry newsletter or something. One yep. was another founder that I didn't know. Another founder that I got connected to from an investor ended up being the one that introduced me. And another one was from my loose warm network, not like a friend, not someone that I really talked to that much, but like really like you got to spread, you know, be, be wide on that top of funnel and then like narrow. Great question on the founders. I can give you the example with like, with like Caraway, you know, again, like it really just goes back to like, if you can find great founders building in large markets, they're going to figure it out and they're going to have these outsized outcomes and asymmetric upside. Uh, But then like, I'd seen some of the other direct consumer kitchenware brands, some, you know, were doing well, some continue to do really well. I, I had like just kind of looked at them. I hadn't necessarily seen any, honestly, any decks or anything. I talked to other founders in the direct consumer space. And then when you talk to, when I was talking to Jordan, normally you get like a surface level overview, even in the first meeting, even the second meeting, like of how they're going to go to market, how they're going to approach certain things. His level of detail and planning was like way, way beyond. And it wasn't like a, everyone's got, you know, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. But like, it was like, research and and he done work actually not just like <laughs> let me just copy and paste someone else's or oh, use influencers it was like we're gonna go after influencers this is our strategy on influencers this, these are the influencers we're going to target and this is why these are the keywords that we're going to target these are this is how we're going to think about facebook and instagram this is our you know this is what we think our cac is going to be in our ltv is going to be everyone has that great 
But like, this is how we think it progresses over time. This is how we think about margin expansion. This is how we think about product expansion and, and when we're going to release these products. And like, we're already talking to the manufacturers and designers and the factories about these products, not manufacturers, but factories about these products and this next product and, and everything else. Talked about like working capital needs and things like that. Things that like, even to today, when I speak to direct consumer companies, are not the things that founder pre-seed founders think about, not even seed or A founders. It's like in between A and B is when you start to hear D to C founders start to, to really like grok working capital and, and think about it in a more, in a bigger way. So like if you could find founders who are thinking, you know, two, three rounds ahead, like there's probably something really special there. And with your background, Andrew, so obviously having run an agency, worked with some number of you know massive brands and just all sorts of different companies, you have that expertise you bring to the table in terms of talking with these founders. <laughs> Are there things you're looking for when they talk to you about these level of detail with their company or they're too broad about whatever they're talking about? Like, Because you know from your experience a lot of different things around what works and what doesn't work from different examples. Take me through how you think through that when a company pitches you or talks to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think like you, it's funny, you you pick it on something that not a lot of people pick up pick up on until I like call it out. But like the digital marketing expertise and stuff that I can bring to the table is great. But I also work with a lot of early stage teams and got to see almost like almost like a venture, you know, uh, like like a like a fund in that I worked yeah. with a lot of companies. Some went really well and grew really well and were really successful clients for us, some less so. And you got to work with a lot of different early stage founding teams to kind of have a few reps, a few hundred reps there. Um, now, um, I probably over-index on like wanting to understand go-to-market just because that's my background. I want to understand LTV to CAC. And I always say that there is no wrong answer because there are wrong answers, but there, it's not about like wrong answers or right answers. It's about like how much time, attention have you thought about this part of the business? And like, and, and, and if not a lot, that's okay. If, hey, like we're pre-product, like we're still figuring out exactly what the product is. We've thought a little bit about different things. Have you thought about like who are you going to hire into that position to think about those things? How are you going to, are you, do you have, you know, do you have a network where you're going to fill these roles or like what is the type of person that you want? Yeah, like we're, we're going to be really B2B focused or D2C focused or everything we're going to do is really driven through partnerships. So we need someone with a really strong partnerships background. There are wrong answers. You know, I've, I've gotten the, you know, um, somewhat recently saw like, hey, we're going to spend $10,000 and our CAC is going to be like, three bucks it's just like that's just not like sure cool like unless you're giving away free money and even even if you're giving away free money like it's probably hard to get a three dollar cap these days yeah. so you know it just shows a lack of understanding in the market one other thing that i found to be i don't know if funny is the right word but like interesting is now <laughs> kind of been around the block a little bit i i'm starting to like see companies where i see them like early in their fundraising cycle and I take no, like very little or no credit. Like I give them a little bit of feedback. Maybe they get, they internalize some feedback and you see them like go and raise or like someone else will do their deck three, four months later. It's like, oh, this is like a, a real idea now, you know, like you kind of like, so it's funny that like there's a, a whole chunk of timing in, especially in pre-seed, like where like if you see someone who's been thinking about the idea for two months, and the deck's very raw and very new versus someone who's battle tested it even four months later has been thinking about the idea for six months, has gotten tons, maybe 30, 40 people giving them feedback and, and battle testing it a little bit where it can become like much, much stronger. And like, that's obviously a great sign. Uh, there was one the other day, like where I, where I like 
was like, wait, this is the same company. I have to go back and check the deck. They were a direct consumer company. They were building this space. And like, I was like, I don't think the market's necessarily big enough for a venture scale exit. And I don't think I was anything that pushed into this. And now I see them three months later and they're literally raising as a D2C hope company, you know, like, like, like one of those roll-up strategies. And I'm like, maybe I pushed them a little bit that way. It's just interesting <laughs> to see, you know, um, like that, if they had pitched me that strategy with that team that early, like might've been interesting, you know, I don't know that, you know, if it's a fit for me right now, it's a little later stage, but like, it's kind of interesting to see these companies evolve over time and over rounds and grow, but like even early on, like there's, there's iteration. For you with, with the experience again, like how hands-on are you as, as an investor? I'm sure it's different per company potentially, but how do you think through that at least? Because some people I've talked to before, I mean, they're completely hands-off. They just want to invest. They might do rolling funds, whatever, uh, in terms of investing into that or funds themselves or not really doing direct cap table investment. Some people are hands-on. They know they have expertise in certain domains. For you, what does it look like, Andrew? I've been thinking a lot about it because as a solo GP, it's 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 one of the things that's challenging as someone who wants to be hands-on and, and that's part of the sell to founders getting onto cap tables. It's one of the things about building a brand and reputation in the space that I, you know, want to do and want to be proud of is how does that scale over time, right? So right now, you know, as I've transitioned to fund, they still obviously have an angel portfolio that I talk to the companies, you know, help the companies. There's no, you know, expectations on one small advisory agreement that's expiring at the end of the year. So after that, you know, again, expectations are set and fair with the angel portfolio companies. Uh, I still am going to want to help them, A, because I have money in them, and B, because they're great founders and I, and I want them to continue to grow. It, it's transitioned to more reactive versus proactive, right? Um, and so as opposed to on the fund side, it's much more proactive. It's much more of right now I've made two investments out of the fund already, have regular biweekly every two week calls scheduled with the founders, founding team. Early on, you know, right after the investment, there's a lot more communication, email, um, calls, text, especially as they're wrapping up the round, trying to think in, through who else they want in the round and, and what the syndicate looks like. There's, you know, a lot more constant communication. Over time, it, you know, it ebbs and flows, right? Hey, like we're heads down working on the product. Cool, like I'm here. We've talked about the product roadmap. I'm not an engineer. Like we might skip one of those calls, right? And, and, and might go down to once a month. Oh, okay, product's ready. We're we're starting to gear up for go to market. Let's you know, let's talk more. Let's talk you know again every two weeks, maybe even more often. I spoke to one of the companies I invested in, helped with the kind of interview process on their you know go to market marketing uh, coordinator director. I don't know what the title is, but helped helped interview that person. Now that he's starting either this week, next week, something like that. You know, I'll probably have a monthly call with him as well, just to check in, talk through, you know, how the month's going, strategy, what new channels we're testing, creative, all those things. Uh, thinking about expanding to this, thinking about bringing on an agency, thinking about hiring people, what, all those things over time um, that grows. And then you know, maybe he hires someone, maybe he expands an agency. And then again, ebbs and flows probably needs less of my time and attention on a, a more regular basis and becomes a little bit more proactive, uh, reactive. And so... Um, that's kind of how I think about it. You know, I'm not going to run the day-to-day -day marketing for these companies, but I am going to help them think through strategy, um, approach, LTV to CAC, um, planning, uh, hiring agencies, hiring individuals onto the team. Nowadays, Andrew, I know you mentioned in, I think, some interview I read about or listened to around, you know, you love being early into startups and finding them when they're early. And that's what kind of excites you. And, you know, finding before it's like a hot deal, you want to find something earlier than that. What does that look like now for you? Because you've done the angel investing as well. Now you have a rolling fund. 
how does it look like in terms of you kind of trying to find these companies super early? Yeah. So when I was doing the rolling fund, um, I got some, I specifically put in a mandate around uh, the fund uh, cap in terms of what I can invest in. So I can't invest in companies that are uh, $15 million pre-money is the cap in terms of companies that I can invest in. I can always go to LPs for exceptions if and when, if there really are ones that weren't. I put that in place because I want to remain diligent um, and I want to continue to have that approach that's worked well for me before and, and hopefully will continue to of like really investing in companies in their early stages. I think that's the opportunity where a few things happen, right? You invest in the deal quote unquote before it's hot, where the valuation is fair, you know, a little bit more aligned. Um, listen, founders should get what's market. That's their job. They should yeah. go out and raise it, whatever they can. Like I'm a strong believer in that. You know, my network's grown over time. I'm starting to see more things from founders, more things from other people and things like that. But a lot of my network is, is a lot of, a lot of the companies that I see are first time founders, you know, maybe they have experience in an industry, but it's not their, they don't have three exits under their belt. They haven't, you know, raised tens, hundreds of millions of dollars before. It really also excites me to like be able to help them on their journey a little bit, uh, whether or not I end up investing. Right. I think that if you don't, if you don't enjoy the game, you won't be good at it. And like part of the game is not just the investments that you make. It's the people that you interact with along the way. And, this industry is very, my grandfather used to say the world is short, meaning like you run into the same people again and again. And like, you totally do, especially in venture. And so like a lot of that comes back in great ways. Um, but even not, it's, it's just great. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what happened from it, but I, you know, saw a company and really liked it. Wasn't a space I didn't really know. So wasn't a fit for me, but made two good introductions from that. Like those are things where now those founders, top of mind, I'm going to be top of mind for them when they think about who should I introduce, you know, other founders to those investors are going to share deal flow. Uh, like, like those things are, are really exciting to me to be able to, again, like when you're, when they're early and they are not quite as networked as they might be later on, or they haven't exited and haven't built that network for themselves to help a little bit along the way. I've had plenty of people have kind of done that yeah. for me along the way. And I, I'm more than happy to pay back some of that as much as I can. Yeah, I think the longer you're in this industry, you realize that more and more, just how those relationships build over time. Even like listening to, I probably listened to like five or six Chris Sack uh, interviews and him just talking about how people he went deep with in terms of relationships that then paid off you know, in the, in the long run to have you know one of the most successful funds, obviously, in terms of NBNBC. And for you, going from angel investing to having a fund and you deciding to go with a rolling fund versus a traditional fund, take me through some of that. You could have just kept angel investing in theory want to leverage it out like how do you think through that decision i oh kind of always knew i wanted to do a fund so when i was angel investing i always kind of did it with a fund lens of perspective um in terms of a uh, risk reward profile upside and looking for things with really like asymmetric upside um versus sometimes you see deals that probably the profile is a little bit more pe than an SLA is vc yeah um and then you know as i was transitioning to 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 investing out of a fund you know, I, I looked at traditional fund model, I looked at the angelist rolling fund model and just realized how great the angelist rolling fund model was for emerging managers, um, just in terms of being able to meet people along the way and, and grow that kind of capital, those capital relationships and that capital stack over time is, hey, like I can have a conversation, you know, hopefully this gets, you know, a couple hundred million listens and then, uh, you know, LPs come pouring in. If I had already learned fun, I might have closed it already. It would have been like, let's keep the relationship going and let's see. Now it's like, oh, okay, let's keep the relationship going. 
don't have to make the decision today, but like there are investment opportunities that are pertinent and available at the moment. You know, that that's why I ended up going with the Angelus Rolling Fund. I don't know, you know, personally, I don't know that I'll, I probably won't stay with the Angelus Rolling Fund platform forever. I'll probably try to transition to more traditional fund model yeah. after about two years. Eight quarters is kind of the goal. It's not set in stone, but that's, that's the plan <laughs> for right now. With, with that in mind, Andrew, so... In terms of your fund, people can look at, you know, go on AngelList, they can find your fund, of course, your rolling fund. But how do you have the structure of that? I've seen, you know, there's lots of different ways, minimums people have for that, how they set it up and everything. Just how, I'm just curious in the kind of the backstory between, you know, how you came up with yours. I kind of started from the end of like, what do I want this fund to be? Like, how much do I think I, right? And like the other option was, along the way, was like doing more SPVs, right? And like, I had... Right before I launched the fund, I had like two companies where I invested as an angel in their in their pre-seed, seedish rounds. One was a seed plus round um, where I had a couple hundred thousand dollars kind of, kind of follow on follow on to me to my investment yeah. based on my diligence and and not just the intro but really for my diligence and, and and knowing the founder. That to me was a little bit of a signal of okay, it's time to ready to transition. Like people are trusting you, even though they're not paying you for it for that trust at the moment, which is again is fine. They're they're trusting your judgment and and they're trusting you with their with their dollars. Then I worked kind of from the end of like okay, like if I'm going to do this, should I do SPVs? What would that look like? Okay, instead of investing ten to twenty five k checks, fifty k checks, maybe I'll do one hundred to two hundred fifty, and you know do them one at a time. You know do SPVs and try to do this many deals per and like. You know, then I was like, okay, like maybe I'll do a traditional fund model. What would that look like? How much do I think I can deploy into these companies? I wouldn't say responsibly, but responsibly plus get allocations and also, yeah. you know, again, get get great returns for for LPs. And so based on that, kind of said, all right, I want this to be, you know, basically like around the five to ten million dollar fund, which even that is a wide swath. Um, and you know, based on that, it was like, okay, I want to get to a couple hundred thousand dollars by the end of Q1, a couple on, you know, a little bit more than Q2, a million by Q3. And, you know, right now I'm pretty on track for that. Um, a little bit ahead of schedule, you know, knock on wood, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I felt this is an amount where I feel comfortable taking other people's money because once you're managing OPM, it's, it's a whole other ball game and there's a lot of trust and. I said this in one of my LP updates. I do not take I do not take it lightly that people are you know trusting me with their capital. Right? It's totally different when I'm putting in annual checks saying, "Hey, talk to the founder. I invested. I put my money on the line, but but it's up to you to invest or not." Right? They can pass. They can not. They can do their own diligence. Um, now they're they're literally paying me to manage their money, and like it's a, it's a huge responsibility. And uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable in the in the dollar amount, and be able to still again generate great returns. I want to be I'm, I'm stealing this line from a good friend, um, colleague Katie Shea of Divergent VC. You know, I want to be in the no, I don't want to be in the AUM game. I want to be in the returns game. You know, I will probably always again. Who knows what the way C rounds are going? Maybe I'll need a. a a two hundred fifty million dollar pre-seed fund, but yeah, you know, I I always kind of see sticking this sub, you know, you know the next fund again, this fund focused on this fund and get a good return. The idea of the next one would be fifteen to twenty five million. I I don't see wanting to raise a hundred million dollar fund. Like I don't know that I have the deal flow, deal quality, structure. Um, I don't know that the returns are there to to do that. And like I want to be consistently generating great, you know, top quartile returns, top decile returns for, for LPs. Like that, that's my goal. That yeah. was my dream. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that. I know we're out of time, but Andrew, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you, learn more about all you're doing as well? 
Yeah, sure. Um, you can always email me, andrewatirreverent.io, I-R-R-V-R-N-T.io. Uh, if you're submitting a deal, best to do it via my website, irreverent.io or irreverent.com. There's a form to fill with some pretty basic information. Upload a deck, upload a Doxon link. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. I just crossed 5,000 followers, so now I'm on Twitter influencer. So <laughs> tips, tips soon, verification, tips, you know, all that. Hopefully, coming <laughs> soon. But at Irreverent VC, I R R V R N T V C. Perfect. And we'll be sure to link that all up as well. TheVitalizedPodcast.com. We'll have your, your episode there. Andrew, thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.